Welcome to Silicon Valley Vibes, a podcast from SVLG that connects you to the issues, ideas, and innovations in the Valley by talking to the people driving them. I'm your AI announcer, Vivi. Today we do a whole episode with the one and only Van Jones, in conversation with SVLG CEO Ahmad Thomas. Unpacking it are our SVLG hosts, Nadia Anderson, Chief of Staff for SVLG and SVP of Strategy, as well as her co-host, Peter Lero Munoz, SVLG General Counsel and SVP of Tech and Innovation. Welcome to the show. I'm Nadia Anderson. And I'm Peter Lero Munoz. And we're thrilled to be bringing you Silicon Valley Vibes. On this episode of Silicon Valley Vibes, we're gonna take you to our Racial Justice and Equity Summit, Moment or Momentum, for three parts of a conversation between CNN commentator and Dream.org founder Van Jones, interviewed at our summit by SVLG CEO, Ahmad Thomas. So this year's summit was an absolute moment. We are at a consequential period in society where we're grappling with three years after the murders of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor. And Silicon Valley leaders came together to discuss where are we three years after this moment that we all had together? Are we a movement or are we actually working to make change in the spaces that we believe are most important? In the first part of this conversation, you'll hear from our keynote speaker, Van Jones, who talks in detail about how heavy it is to do this type of work. He touches on pain, on grief, on spirituality, but also touches on the importance of finding hope in these moments, even though it may seem like sometimes we're all pushing the boulder uphill. That's right, Nadia. This was one of the most authentic and raw conversations I've heard in Silicon Valley or pretty much anywhere. It delves into so many of the issues that are still important three years after the death of George Floyd and the beginning, really, of a national movement towards greater social justice. Take a listen. You talk about love in our soft crowd here. I don't think anyone disagrees with, with that statement. But I also think there's a lot of pain. If I were just to reflect what I've heard even in some conversations today, right? the entire theme here at SVLG, moment to momentum, a lot of momentum initially back in 2020 and results that have been mixed. And with that, for some of us, this is very personal. Yes. And it's, it's hard, and you hold yourself, you know me, I'm an investment banker. My, my yes. metrics are very clear for what I've done in most of my career. With DEI work, you hold yourself to a higher standard, and it really hurts when you don't meet your expectations. Mm-hmm. I want you to speak to that grace, and, and the, well, one, do you agree, is that pain there? Do you feel it? Yeah. And how does our audience manage through that to be effective? There's some grief here. Grief? Grief. Um, you know, this is painful stuff. You feel like you're getting gaslit. You know, you're not crazy. Like there's there's some resistance here to including everybody. And it gets dressed up, and it gets spun this way, and gets spun that way. And you're fighting ghosts, and it's hard. And you want to punch somebody, and I wouldn't advise doing that. <laughs> Good advice, yep. So, um, that's why I've become more spiritual. Mm. Uh, people who knew me back in the day, they used to call me Black Napalm. 
They used to call me Black Napalm. Because I would go to the city council. I was that guy on the, uh, you know, how they, they showed the people cussing folk out. That was Van Jones <laughs> 25 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago. Because I had no power. I had no position. I had no money. I had a little tiny not-for-profit, the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights in Oakland, which I founded 30, uh, 27 years ago. Um, and, um, and, and they were shooting, shooting down black kids left and right. The San Francisco Police Department, Oakland Police Department. And nobody cared. And they just always blamed the kid. And there was no videos. And um, I was, you couldn't be more angry. Because uh, I was going to those funerals. It wasn't academic to me. I knew some of those kids. Sheila DeToy, who got her brains blown out. I knew that kid. Um, uh, May 13, 1998, Sheila DeToy. So, you know, there's real grief. And yet somehow what I know is that our ancestors found a way. They went behind the barn. And they prayed, and they cried, and they danced, and they shouted, and they figured out some magic that created a miracle that we're living inside of right now. That's what they somehow were able to do. And you're not going to be supported in that here. Uh, when, when Fannie Lou Hamer and Ella Jo Baker and those people they weren't supported at the point of conflict. They didn't get support there. You live at the, the point of conflict. Your job is to be at the point of conflict. That's hard. That's draining. That's exhausting. That's debilitating. So there has to be a, a, a place to which we can retreat. That's what the black church was for all its faults and flaws when it comes to sexism and, and patriarchy and homophobia for all its faults and flaws. That was a place that people could go and recharge. You, Saturday night, you go out to the juke joint <laughs> and let it out. <laughs> Sunday morning, you go to church. <laughs> and then Monday, you got to deal with the man. <laughs> Y'all ain't no different, ain't no better. <laughs> You're doing the same thing that your grandmother did, your grandfather did. And so we have to remember that. And so that's important. But that said, it's also not just the, the sales pitch that could be a little bit off. You don't have the right tools yet either. You're being asked to do something that's impossible. They want you to build a skyscraper with an electric toothbrush. That ain't the right tool. You're supposed to change all this culture with a couple of workshops and some, that's not gonna work. It's just not gonna work. Um, I, I helped to start a company called Rapport, which is trying to integrate at the, the Tool, tool level, the daily tool level, uh, some empathy. I'll put it this way. You may be asking somebody, say, 43-year-old, white guy, straight guy, very narrow background. You want that person to have empathy for a 23-year-old black lesbian who just got hired. He may not have empathy for himself. Mm. He may not have empathy for himself. He may not have empathy for his wife or husband. He, he may not have empathy for his children. So you want somebody who with the level of empathy 
has been a couch potato their whole life to come and run a marathon in your workshop. That may not be a fair assignment to you. Rapport, what we're doing is we're building into the Zoom and the calendar empathy tools. So when you have a meeting with somebody, a prompt comes up to let you check in with you. What is your energy level, high or low? What is your work level, high or low? Anything you want this person to know? And, you know, my, my, my son has the flu. I was up all night. So then you put that in, so when the Zoom call starts, there's some humanity that you've checked in with yourself, and you can see the other person's humanity. You've got to start having technological tools to build in a culture of empathy, period. Before you get to empathy for the left-handed lesbian in the wheelchair, people that had some empathy for themselves. So we are raising money, rapport. Uh, um, but part of this is the challenge that you've been given is so much harder than you're allowed to even accept or acknowledge. These, these are not cultures of empathy. Uh, there, there are uh, straight white dudes that are sitting there that don't feel they fit in either and don't know how to talk. And, they, and so uh, what, what I want to suggest is, first of all, the sales pitch has to be different. The tools have to be developed. And the hearts have to be protected especially for the women of color who are often in these jobs, how you protect your magic, how you nurture your magic, how you continue to be that source when it's not just at work, it's also at home. It's not just at home, it's also at the community level. It's also at the church. Yeah. Everywhere you go, people are pulling magic out of you and nobody's putting magic into you. That's not a good assignment. And so these are the real challenges that we're having at an operational level, at a real level, uh, that you're dealing with. But there are real solutions. And the, the, what I want to say to you is, as tough as it is right now, the context is still better than it was for our parents. The context is better than it was during the Obama years. I mean, Obama, don't forget, Obama, when he ran in 2008, never said a word about criminal justice reform. There was nothing in the, criminal, in the, in the Democratic uh, Party platform in 2008, go back and look at it, not a word about prisons, not a word about police brutality, not a word about criminal justice in 2008 or 2012. So the best president ever, Barack Obama, all praises. <laughs> <laughs> you say that every time, man? Every time. Every time, okay. Barack Obama, all praises. Oh, shoot, I love, I'm, I miss Obama. And her husband. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> but even, even them, 2008, 2012, weren't talking about police brutality, criminal justice, prisons, uh, DEI, uh-uh. So don't forget what we have achieved. Some of it was strategy. Some of it was tragedy. Don't get uppity now. Some it was strategy, some was tragedy. But one way or the other, God got us here. Amen. Here we are. And so, yes, it's tough. Yes, there's backlash. But if we're willing to rethink the sales pitch, the tools, the approach, how we stay resilient, I think we still have a window open 
for more progress. I believe that. Well, so. We'll be back with more Silicon Valley vibes after this. Hi, Shannon Diatley Johnson, SVP and head of events at SVLG. Save the date for SVLG's 11th annual Energy and Sustainability Summit, presented by Western Digital at the Oracle Conference Center in Redwood. Everyone's welcome to register at svlg.org forward slash events. We look forward to seeing you soon. Hi, this is Vivi. Welcome back to the conversation and the innovation on Silicon Valley Vibes. Nadia, I, I love this next story about how Van received support from Jeff Bezos, because to me, it shows how people who are moved to act on a vision can bring others into that same vision. Now, you're absolutely right, Peter. That was my same sentiment. And what was really interesting about what Van shared was that he took us sort of behind the scenes, not only on how he is, he thinks overall, but how he is thinking about putting these funds to use. Essentially, he's sharing the fact that this injection of capital can be a force multiplier. And he's working with those who are usually not at the table. And they are actually showing that what all of us knew, that if you give people opportunities and chance, they actually can make really great things happen. Let's take a listen. And I want to talk about what you're doing. I think acknowledging this conversation today, you're in the heart of Silicon Valley. You know, you got me leading a significantly influential business group of all of these leaders and members having a conversation like this. Yeah. I'm not sure I could imagine a conversation like this five, seven, 15, 20 years ago. Shoot, five years uh, ago. So I appreciate that very much. And I think we should acknowledge where we make progress but I, I think specifically you, as we pivot and talk to solutions. Mm -hmm. So we have some Amazon executives in the room. I know your friend Jeff Bezos has been a strong supporter of yours. Can yes. you speak to the specific steps that you've been taking that are showing a very high return on investment and driving impact? Look, I, um, I was very blessed. Uh, Jeff Bezos um, named me the first uh, Courage and Civility. You gotta tell the story, it's on YouTube. <laughs> when it got, it got announced. Uh, so, yeah, Jeff went up in a rocket ship. Uh, that's kind of weird. <laughs> um, no, look, I, I met Jeff Bezos at, at, a, at, a, at a conference a couple of years ago before COVID. We stayed in contact. And um, uh, after George Floyd, uh, I think people were very shook up. And they were trying to figure out what to do. And it's, these are hard problems to solve. These are very hard problems to solve. And um, so, so he calls me on a Saturday, and um, I put my phone down, and I was about to go for a walk with my ex-wife, um, trying to you know, make amends, and... Um, <laughs> I'll leave that, leave that alone. Yeah. <laughs> trying to work it out. <laughs> we got cheering. <laughs> Baby, please. So... <laughs> We'll, we'll go, we'll go. I'll leave that alone, I'll leave that alone. But I, I put my phone down and we were about to go on a walk and I looked and it was Bezos and he doesn't call that often. Um, so I picked up the phone and he said, what are you doing on Tuesday? I said, well, uh, you know, probably gonna be on TV talking about Trump. I mean, what, what do I do every day? And uh, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so um, he said, well, will you come to Texas? I'm going to you know, launch myself in this rocket with my brother. And <laughs> I'm like, billionaires are weird, man, but OK. I, 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 I've never had seen something like that. So I said, of course, I was happy to do it. But I'm going to tell you something. In the background, Lauren Sanchez, 
of who's his partner, who's an extraordinary human being. I said, Jeff, tell him. Tell him, tell him. I think it was supposed to be a surprise if I, if I, if I went there. But um, he said, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. And, um, and, and he said, then when you come uh, after the launch, don't tell anybody after launch, I'm going to give you $100 million of charitable money for you to give out as you see fit. As you see fit. And I was speechless. Now, Mr. Coleman, as long as you know me, have I ever been speechless? <laughs> ever one time? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I was, the reason I was speechless, sir, was that $100 million, unrestricted, no committee, no board. I get to make all the calls. Dr. King, when he got the Nobel Prize, was $1 million. And he gave it away. Pissed off Coretta. <laughs> but he gave it away. A hundred times what Dr. King got. No black person in the history of black people has ever been given that much discretionary charitable dollars, ever. And um, you know, I told him that. And he said, I'm confident that you'll do good things. So, so that stressed me to hell out. <laughs> I said, what the heck am I going to do? And so, um, and I was talking to you about this, we, we took, $5 million, you guys are going to be incredibly impressed. And the reason I can say this is because it was not my idea at all. I partnered with a brother from Wall Street uh, with, a, with a financial background, a financial genius named Michael Lithcott, um, who I could spend a long time telling you his story, but he's an unbelievable guy. Uh, his mom was a famous artist in, 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 ha in Harlem. And she had, another, she had two kids, one also a big artist, the other Michael Lithcott, not an artist. <laughs> but a mathematical genius. So she put him on the subway train from Harlem down to Wall Street. And he got an internship down there and blew people's minds. Sold his first company in his mid-20s, quite well off, but also, like everybody, shocked by what's going on and wants to do something. So I called Lithcott, I said, what can we do? He said, why don't we set up a private equity firm you can make a loan. Because I'm like, if I just give out all the money, all these grants, 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 then the grants are going to be gone. The community's going to be the same. And by the way, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I'm disappointed in myself. For 30 years, I've been giving the same speeches, going to the same rallies, going to the same conferences, giving the same sound bites, getting the same applause, and seeing no results in my community. It's like Groundhog's Day. It's the same problem. And by the way, anytime a community gets better, it's because our people left and new people came in gentrification. I've never seen it where our folks actually got a benefit in 30 years of work. And I said, I, just, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. He said, let's try this. See, so we, we set up a private equity firm, took the, took the billion dollars as a loan to capitalize it, so it's, it's a program-related investment, so we get the money back. Um, and he went through incredible diligence, looked at 600 companies, found 12 companies that are doing, trying to do good in the hood and invested in those companies, raised $165 million to invest in those companies. And then uh, altogether, those companies were able to raise an additional, additional $700 million in project finance and an additional $300 million in government. 
So I took a $5 million loan, generated a billion dollars of impact, and got the $5 million back. Now, that's, that's starting to get somewhere. Why can I do that? Because there's more people out there who are willing to partner with people like us if you got good ideas. But let me tell you the, some, some of the companies. Because this ain't just, you know, fast food restaurants. Think about, I'll tell you three stories real quick. The Bronx. You got time, man. You got time. The Bronx, Chicago, LA. The Bronx. You think about um, the clean energy revolution, climate change, all these fancy issues and topics that we talk about and believe in. And you go to the Davos, and they, they'll give speeches about that forever. Every one of those speeches lands like a snowflake on a radiator at the asphalt level. They can give speeches at Davos for the rest of their lives. It won't change one thing in the Bronx. It won't change one thing in, in Oakland. It just, it, there's, no, there's no connection between that and this. Take something like electric cars. We all, it's good for wealthy people to get Teslas. Do you know who really needs an electric car? You know who really needs one? An Uber driver. A Lyft driver. Not only is that better for the neighborhood air, <laughs> they can charge a premium on every single ride if it's an electric car. And that premium means they can send their daughter to community college. So they're not driving in circles, they're getting somewhere now. Okay? They need electric cars. But guess what? If you're in the Bronx, a gig worker in the Bronx, there ain't nowhere to charge the vehicle. So you have gig workers getting electric cars and driving two hours to JFK to charge. So we found a company at an expansion stage, it's a company called Rebel, and we said to them, you're trying to expand, and you know, they're desperate for capital to expand, why don't you expand into the hood? You're trying to go, you, 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 you got the subways, we call the, the suburbs covered. <laughs> And not one in the hood. Said, so, well, you know, our board, this, that, and that. Well, so we created a joint venture. And we said, let's, we're going to show you the returns you're going to get in the hood. And because you can charge a little bit of a premium because you're, you know, a fantastic business. The best business that they've got now. Climate, inclusion, economic mobility, in the hood, profitable. Chicago, everybody talks about Chicago. Um, housing issue, uh, jobs an issue, violence an issue. We found a company that's making, get this, modular electric houses. I'll say it again, modular, so they're like Legos, zero waste, just clump, clump, put them together. Modular electric houses, so each house is like a Tesla. And they can make them for a quarter million dollars a piece in six weeks. Okay? Now they're doing that for hippies. Let's be honest. But what if you did it in the hood? You could take a whole neighborhood and replace it. And by the way, the union guys in Chicago don't want to do that stuff because it's weird. So you can, can't, and we are getting formerly incarcerated people to build modular electric houses in Chicago with the support of NFL players who want to give back, and you're creating jobs at the same time. Clean, job creation, inclusion, by the way, highly profitable. 
Yeah, that's a different frame, yes. right? That's ROI, right? Return on investment yes. that helps everyone. I mean, as we talk about DEIs, we talk, you know, the buzzword ESG, we talk about ESG issues here at the leadership group. It is about our companies being in a position to be more competitive and profitable by doing the right thing. A yes. new era of leadership yes. around corporate citizenship in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley Vibes will be back after this quick message. I'm Ahmad Thomas, CEO at the Silicon Valley Leadership Group. As part of our acceleration agenda, I'm here to announce SVLG's new working group on responsible AI. It's the first initiative we're rolling out under our new Technology and Innovation Center of Expertise. We recognize the tremendous potential of and profound interest around this new technology, and we're committed to ensuring that AI is developed and implemented in a responsible way. The working group is co chaired by SVLG member companies Google and Johnson & Johnson. As the group takes shape, we look forward to working with industry experts, academics, and other stakeholders to bring diverse voices, perspectives, and disciplines to the table. If you'd like to get involved, please visit svlg.org to learn more. Next on Silicon Valley Vibes, part three of our exclusive conversation with Van Jones from SVLG's Racial Justice and Equity Summit, Moment to Momentum. So Peter, this last part of the conversation that we're going to share was one where I will personally admit some of the things said on the stage were hard to hear and I had to take a minute to actually listen without thinking about all the responses that I had. There were literally a couple of moments in the room where you literally felt the oxygen sort of go out of the room and everybody was making the same expression that if you know, you know, look at some of the comments that were being said, you know, not to spoil it for those who are about to listen, but anytime you're on stage in Silicon Valley and MAGA is part of the conversation, you know, it could be a little cautionary. You're right, Nadia. This was a part of the discussion that got pretty intense, uh, but one, I think that was necessary. Let's take a listen in. This is gonna blow your minds. Can I tell them about the MAGA people? This is your floor, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's all friends. It's family. We're, we're all friends here. I, because I try to pass legislation to help people behind bars, because you know that's my big thing, people behind bars, people coming home, that's my big thing. But 80% of black people are locked up in red or purple states. 80% of black people are not locked up in Berkeley. They're locked up in Mississippi. Louisiana, Texas, Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, those are red states. So if you're going to move the needle to help people behind bars, you got to deal with some Republicans. People like, Van Jones talks to Republicans and, you know, he worked with Donald Trump and all this. My God. <laughs> this guy must be the biggest self-hating Negro in the history of... <laughs> I mean, don't, don't look, don't check Twitter. is like, oh, wow, this is very bad for my self-esteem. I'm going to tell you that right now. No, you can't do you can't, No, you, you got to skip that. Baby. You got to get another therapist. This is, this is not pleasant at all, you know. But, but why? Why did I, why was I standing in the Oval Office with Donald Trump with him signing my bill and handing me a pen? Why have I been able to get not one, not two, not three, not four, 12 Republican governors to sign bills letting black people out of prison? Why? 
Um, yeah. The New York Times called the First Step Act, which I was a big part of, and we got Pelosi to support, but Donald Trump signed the bill, um, and again, handed me the pen. That bill has gotten 25 people out of prison. No, I didn't say 25. 25 if I did, give me the Nobel Prize. I got Donald Trump to let 25 people. No, no. <laughs> 25,000. Yeah. 25,000 people yeah. out of jail, out of federal prison, the vast majority African-American. Um, and those people did not go out and commit a bunch of new crimes. They came home safely and did, and did great. Um, why? Because it turns out Jared Kushner's father had gone to federal prison. People forget that. Jared Kushner's father went to federal prison. So he had a completely different understanding of what I was saying when I was talking about those, what, what happens to people in federal prison. You know what happens to people in federal prison. We spend $100,000 per year per person and make them worse and hurt them and don't help them. And so we were able to get something done. Now, I tell you this because if you really care, if you really care, you'll fight against anybody and alongside anybody to help. If your child is in a burning building, you don't ask if the firefighter is a Republican or a Democrat. And you don't ask, you don't ask the person standing in the way who they voted for. You say, get out of the way, we're going to help my child. Get out of the way, we're going to help my child. And what we found is, in the red state, sir, I have zero problems when it comes to one thing, which is kids that don't have anything. Now, I didn't say anything about the attacks on Muslims. I can't do anything about that. I've tried. I'm not effective with that. There's all kind of stuff that my friends who are in the MAGA right, I can't move them on. And we fuss and fight and argue. But I'm going to tell you, when I go into MAGA territory, make America great again territory, Donald Trump territory, when I say MAGA, that's what I mean, make America great again, Donald Trump territory, and I have to give a speech, I do fine. Because I say the same thing every time. Here's what I say. Imagine this whole room is people with red hats on. <laughs> Look at you, you're already like. <laughs> She almost lost it. We almost, she almost had a coronary just thinking about it. All red hats, all NRA uh, T-shirts, wall to wall. And everybody's sitting there like this. Because here comes this guy. Here comes this guy. So I would walk up there, and I say the same thing every time. I say, hello, good to meet you. I'm Van Jones. I want to tell you three things. Number one, I am a black activist. Number two, I used to work for Barack Obama. And number three, I'm on CNN. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> three strikes, I'm out. <laughs> hey, no reason for me to lie to you. <laughs> and no reason for you to lie to me. <laughs> we already know what it is. <laughs> so we don't have to do anything but tell the truth in here. Correct? Uh, correct. <laughs> That's all right. And I said, now, based on that resume, you might think that I am mad at you. You might think that I am mad at you. And you would be correct. <laughs> correct. <laughs> but not for the reason you think. 
not for the reason you think. I'm mad at you because I need you. I'm mad at you because I need you. And I can't have the country I want without you. Some of you are some of the best people in this country. Some of you are veterans. Been in this country, risked their lives. Some of you are union leaders, have stood up against tough odds. Some of you are small business owners and help families put food on the table every week with a paycheck. Some of the best people in this country. But I can put you in a car right now, sir, and drive you 20 minutes and show you American children going to bed hungry every night. And where the hell are you guys? I can put you in a car and show you American children who have never seen their father because their father is in a grave or is, is in prison for doing the same drugs your children are doing in college right now. And where the hell are you guys? Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm not leaving here until we figure out a way to help these kids. I'm not leaving. And by the way, stay in your party. Don't come at my party. <laughs> we got enough problems. <laughs> you fix the Republicans, I'll fix the Democrats. You stay in your party. I'm not coming here to convert anybody. I'm telling you that there's a mission for you in this country right now with these kids. These are some of the best kids ever born. They're, they're incredible. They're resilient. They're passionate. They're creative. They need your help and your support. And more importantly, you need them. You need these kids. These kids will bring something out in you. And it is true that America's grandkids, I'm not going to lie about it, America's grandkids look different than America's grandparents. But they're still America's kids. And I'm not leaving until we figure out a way to help these damn kids. And I'm telling you, those guys would follow me into machine gun fire. And I'd follow them. Because I'm not calling them out. I'm calling them up and I'm calling them in. I'm giving them a better mission than their so-called leader has ever given them. The leader that's telling them he's going to make America great hasn't given them a great mission. He's given them a mission of hatred and division. I'm giving them a mission that's truly great. And they say yes. Well, that was the discussion between Van Jones and SVLG CEO Ahmad Thomas at the Racial Justice and Equity Summit this year. Nadia, what were your thoughts? You know, I had a lot of thoughts leaving and listening to the conversation from Van Jones. For those of us who followed him for a number of years, we all know that Van Jones is gonna be Van Jones. So there's gonna be lots of things that are said that are gems dropped and things for you to take home and sit down and, and grapple with. There are also gonna be some things said that are gonna be lightning rods and you may bristle a little bit at hearing them. What is always interesting to me and fascinating to me is that I absolutely respect Van Jones's point of view and perspective, but I also know and understand that some of the things that he said may not be aligned with how many people think about certain things. I will say that those types of conversations are absolutely necessary. I think there could be a whole episode on whether conversations like that should happen in that types of forum, but I think we did a very good thing as an organization of being able to bring that to our members, to our listeners, and to people out there because those topics, those themes that were touched on are absolutely key for us getting to a place where everybody has equal chance, that we are all treated fairly, and that we can get to that, that civil society that we all dream of. It really was such an important conversation 
And I'm so glad that SVLG could provide that forum for attendees and for others listening to hear about that kind of thing and that have that kind of discussion that's so critical and so important. You know, Peter, I'm glad that you raised that point about reaching across the aisle. That's one that I still am, am sitting with, let me say it that way. You know, there have been some things that have been done and said that kind of erode that general trust that's needed to work together when it comes to public policy. And while I understand that we all need to find ways to figure out what we can align on, I don't want us to downplay how harmful and impactful some of the things that I will say have come out of the MAGA camp, especially when it comes to Black people, when it comes to women. And it is very hard to hear someone saying, put that aside and reach across the aisle and go out of your way to make friends with such a group. Again, as a public policy person who believes in democracy, I do understand and get it, but I also, I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that irreparable harm may have been done and there is the onus that sits with that group in order to be able to have those conversations and reconcile and make necessary amends before they can expect lots of people to work with them. Accountability is always a critical factor. I think that that's absolutely true. Completely agree with you. And I know that so many people in the room absolutely have their, their misgivings and many of those misgivings are completely justified. I think the issue that really that struck me was Van's ability to look for those those issues where they where there is room to try to come together to try to make some gains there without losing sight of that accountability. So I thought it was very powerful and I, I thank you as well for sharing the thoughts because this is this is exactly the kind of conversation that we want to be inspiring after this wonderful summit that delves so deeply into critical social issues. No, I totally agree. I am happy that we had you know the space in the forum and I'm happy too that we're going to be continuing those conversations moving forward, not only as an organization, but also as you know, participants in this experiment of democracy that we're all in. And that wraps up this episode of Silicon Valley Vibes. Please like, share, and subscribe. And remember, with millions of stories in Silicon Valley, you can't always get all the details, but you can get the vibes right here on Silicon Valley Vibes. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Silicon Valley Vibes. SVV is produced by Silicon Valley Leadership Group. Our executive producer is Chuck Dickinson with audio mastering from R.R. Robbins. AI music provided by SoundRaw. Recording production support provided by the platform Riverside FM. Your AI announcer, me, VV, is provided by Eleven Labs. What shoes do computers love the most? Reboots. Come on, that was pretty good. VV signing off.